Welcome to the, the Get Together. Together. I went high on that one. I know, it's cool. This is our show. Oh. Kevin's singing. This is our show about the nuts and bolts of community building. And I am your host, Bailey Richardson. Hey, Bailey. Hello. I'm a partner at People & Company, and I am also a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is a book that is now available on Amazon. It's a book. I'm Kevin Huynh, also a partner at People & Company. I'm the other co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is also a book that is available on Amazon. <laughs> Each episode repetition, of this, yeah, there we go, nailed down. Each episode of this podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they do it? How did they get the first people to show up? How? Uh, how? How did they grow to thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Kat Small. She's a product designer, game maker, developer, and most importantly for today's podcast, one of the organizers of the Game Developers of Color Expo. GDoc, as I'm going to call it, is an annual event that aims to create a new normal in games by putting creators of color at the forefront, showing off their games, building conversations, and pushing their games forward as an art form. We're all people of color. Some of us are definitely like from marginalized gender groups. We all have different sexualities. We all just understand what it's like to not be included. And so it's really important for us to just create a community where it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like or who you're attracted to or any of that stuff. You can just come because you're interested in building a game and you want to see someone who maybe looks like you do it or someone who you don't get to see very often on stage making a game. This year, GDoc had their fourth event, which was hosted at the historic Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. 700 people rolled out Ooh. this last year, some flying from lands as far away from New York City as Australia. Yes. I don't think it gets that much further away I don't than think Australia. so. That's I think that's it. one of those, like, you go straight through the earth and like, on the <laughs> other side, you're pretty Come close to Australia. Side. At GDoc, people hear and give talks from one another, and they also get to share the games they've been working on in a three-story arcade with each other. Arcade. Woo. On the podcast, we'll hear more from Kat about why and how she started the expo in the first place. And da 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 da, she'll share her secrets about how they've been successful with finding sponsors. The secrets. All right, Kev, what stuck out with you about our conversation with Kat? Radical inclusivity. Boop, boop, boop. We talk about how communities often, they both bridge and bond. So, Communities can bond over certain factors. You know, I am an Asian American male and we, you know, have this in common. And they also might bridge over others to bridge across age or other things. With GDoc, Kat and her co-organizers have been clear to say that this expo is supposed to center on game devs of color, but is meant to be radically inclusive in as many ways as possible. Like anybody should come as long as they adhere to this code of conduct, like no hateful people. But with that, I think what was most impressive was how they really put in the effort to make that happen. That's not just a statement, but everything from their code of conduct to affordable ticket prices, $20 to attend this. They had 12-year-olds showcasing games to the scholarships they provide and fundraise for to having live transcriptions of their panels and talks. Just really impressive how they're not just talking about being inclusive, but really, you know, walking the walk. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of the number one things that if you do any reading about GDoc, you see on the internet, you see all the people who attended reflecting on how remarkable that was. And it's inspiring just to see someone go out and make the conference that they wanted to see instead of sort of like having to deal with these things not getting solved for. Yep. So thank you to Kat and her team for making something like that. All right, you ready? Let's, Let's jump in. Let's get into it. What's up? 
Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you. We're going to start the way we always start the podcast, which is Kevin and I say someone who starts a community can't fake the funk. Like you actually have to be passionate about the thing <laughs> that you're building for. So can you take us back to like why you decided to get into game developers of color to work on that? Like where's your passion for gaming maybe come from? Has that been something you've been doing your whole life? That's a great question. I have been playing video games and board games for a very long time. As a child, it's something that brought my mom and I together. It's something that brought my family together. I have very wonderful memories, for example, of my mom and I playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2, specifically when yeah, Tails came out. Cool. I know, yeah. my mom was pretty cool. She's still alive. She's still here. She's still cool. So yeah, my mom is <laughs> the kind of person who's like, yeah, I'll try out this cool technology. That's awesome. So yeah, video games have pretty much always been a part of my life and other types of games as well. And as I got older, I thought a lot about wanting to try to make my own at some point. So when I got to the point where I was in college, I met a bunch of people who actually understood how to program video games. And that was my first opportunity to actually experiment. And I learned what it was like to actually make a game. And it wasn't as hard as I thought, mm. which was really enlightening. It sounds very hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds super challenging, but it turns out a lot of the time, it's just a series of choices that mm. you have to make. And you check for different situations. And when they're true, you make something else happen. And when I understood that that was the way that a lot of video games worked, I realized that it it seems so much harder and that I could maybe at some point try to help make it easier for people. Hmm. And one of the ways I did that earlier on was I helped to co-found a group that was called the Code Liberation Foundation, which did actually help to teach a lot of folks how to make video games. And I think the thing that came out of that is that it is challenging to actually go from teaching people to working within the industry hmm. as a student, for example. Like when you learn how to make a game, most people are very passionate about game development and it's a part of a lot of our childhoods and so the industry itself is pretty challenging this is a lot of passion and passion based projects mm. those industries are really rife for power tripping and things like that to put it frankly and so I think it was hard for me to teach people how to make games without really preparing them for what it was like mm. to actually be in the industry and something that I wanted to do specifically with the game does the color expo was to enlighten and share and give game developers of color access to actual opportunities mm. and to let them know what it's like in the industry. That was the original idea. It actually came from a round table that a couple of friends of mine and I put together. Round table? <laughs> yeah. Like, like a public round table? Like literally a talk? Like a set of round. Yeah, literally like we all hold up in a gigantic auditorium sized room at the Microsoft offices in Manhattan. Oh. So yeah, like one of their giant all hands rooms we just all got in there and arranged everything so that it was a series of chairs facing each other and we gave folks prompts so they could talk about what it was like to be a developer of color within the industry what it was like to not see yourself reflected in the games that are most popular or most well-funded and that was really helpful for us and I think that we didn't really expect how many people were mm. going to come to that because we had about 100 people show up we were 
you're like, okay, clearly there Mm. is a need for this kind of community. And folks would give feedback, basically. That was something that was really energizing. And usually when you go to a games event, you feel the opposite way when you leave. You don't really feel very excited. Maybe you have some new tools that you want to try out, but usually you're honestly socially destroyed. Uh, You've talked to so many people that you're just, you'd never want to see people again. But people come to our events and they're just like, wow, I love it. And we felt that from the first time. So So that was sort of like the seedling to say, okay, we got a hundred people in a room just to talk about this. Maybe we can do a bigger event down the line. Yeah. And you also, there's a bunch of kind of co-founders or co-leaders of GDoc, which I'm going to call Game Developers of Color. (laughs) That's what Kevin calls it. So hopefully that's cool. Is that that a normal thing to say? Expo, okay, GDoc, yeah. yeah, totally yeah. fine. Um, did you meet those co-founders at the round table as well, or how did all of those people come on board? Pretty much just a group of friends who make games, who live in New York. We'd all known each other through the New York game scene, or we'd met through college, for example. And together we realized we're all feeling frustrated and left out. And some of us have access to opportunities because we've just pushed so hard. Like Sean, for example, is a fighter and he will push because he believes in ideas. But some of us maybe just don't have that amount of energy to really constantly be working and networking and really showing people the amount of potential that we have. It's people like him that help us to make this possible because he has a lot of the connections and he can help share those opportunities with other people. People like me and like Chris we're really good at running events we had run different kinds of events before we actually did the roundtable so we had a community of folks who were really interested in some of the other things that we'd done like in the past we'd done some game jams together which are like hackathons but for video games mm. so we actually better had name, like a mailing I know right like everyone should just name. have yeah <laughs> I want a jam like, of anything yeah exactly. jam it. like I'm sure it came from like musical yeah, jams, yeah, yeah, jam yeah. sessions uh, and it just sounds so fun and it is and so we had a really excited community of folks who were very aware of the work that we had done in terms of other intersections like gender, sexuality, and things like that. I feel like they probably weren't surprised when we explored race as a concept, but I think this was the topic that really resonated with people the most. And we didn't want to do like a game jam. We really wanted to make it a set of conversations. So when you were approaching the first actual expo, so you have all these folks that are interested, what were some of the things that you knew from the gate that needed to be different about like a GDoc expo? One thing that we really wanted to avoid was having diversity 101 conversations. We have all been to a lot of conferences where, for example, there are are panels or presentations that are kind of like, how I designed this one Mary Sue character that solves all of the world's problems. Problems and it's like, that's fine. Or there'll be conversations that are more along the lines of, hey, this is why diversity is important. And for all of us as people of color who have had to exist in this world for decades already, we all know that. We really wanted to empower people to actually make their own video games and to see other people who had already made games and to be able to talk to those folks. We really wanted to center it around the actual people who are already doing the work and giving them platforms so that they could 
could help other folks come up as well. So it involved doing a lot of panels. We had micro talks that people could also present that were about 10 minutes long. And it was really around like, here's how I built this thing. And then at the same time, we also had a much larger area for folks to actually come in and play games. And most amazing thing about that was meeting people at that event who came from other states, like outside of New York, which blew my mind that like someone got on a bus, for example, and came to our event. The year after that, people started flying in, just became like a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, people showing up for you is such a powerful thing. It's yeah. just like, I play on a basketball team that's like kind of open and this girl, Aria, who runs it is just like the thing that keeps me going is every week I'm like, who are you? You came to my thing? put a signal out that's and amazing. then you're like, who are you new person that I should have known already, but I didn't. It's so great. Yeah. The other thing I really love is getting to show other conferences. It's not actually that hard to mm. find speakers yeah. who can talk about all of these amazing topics. You can find so many people out there. It's just that you have to look and you have to know where to look. Yeah. So we haven't had any challenges finding speakers. We have to do a lot of curation personally. Same with games. Like people are coming out of the woodworks. Like the floodgates are fully opened and everyone's just really excited about showing their games. Games. Part of the reason why that is true is because of a couple of things that are really important to this event. For example, we pay all of our speakers. We don't charge for table space. So it's a huge opportunity for someone to put their game in front of 500 people and to know that they are being supported by the event. The event wouldn't be possible without all of these people. So mm. it's really important to us that we're not charging them for things like table space, because if we didn't have them there, then how would we actually have an expo? If we wouldn't be possible without them, why would we yeah. charge them for that? Yeah. People really appreciate the visibility. A lot of developers have shown at other events as well and said that our event is the best experience they've had all year. People love speaking at our event. We also definitely don't charge a ton of money because we want this to be accessible to yeah. people who are new. How much does it cost to attend? Right now, or last year, it was $20 for a ticket to attend the event. So set the scene at the first event. What was it like for you on like day one or the day before? Like, just take us there. I definitely remember it. The first one also being like a Microsoft office, all hands space kind of thing. Microsoft's getting we a shout really, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we invested in them a lot. And then we ended up moving over to the Schomburg Center because yeah. it got too big. Which for people not in New York City who don't know the Schomburg Center, yeah. maybe you can talk about it because it's a really big deal. Gosh. So the Schomburg Center is this gigantic historic library and research center that's in Harlem. And we're so grateful to be there we were able to get to the point where we could fund that kind of experience for our attendees it's something that really leveled up our event it's a very powerful yeah. symbol too right like exactly. James Baldwin's letters are there and yeah. there's just like some really important historical yeah it's like a space like a hub for black culture and that means a lot to us as mm -hmm. one of the many groups of people of color or I hope it speaks to our commitment to these communities and that we really do want to like show and highlight their games and give them further access to opportunities in the space. At what point in that first event did you know we should do this again? People kept asking us when it <laughs> was going to be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh, I guess the community expects that this is going to happen again. 
So I guess we're doing another one. And then we were like, okay, well, this space was too small. So we need to get bigger than this. Yeah. So where are we going to go now? Let's see what we can get. And then, yeah, one of the group was like, hey, I think we could probably rent the Schomburg Center. And we were all like, can we get enough money to do that? Over time, we were able to secure enough of an investment to like actually put down a deposit. We were going from free to like actually paying for a space. And that was a pretty big hurdle for us. Yeah, ticket sales and sponsorship gets dialed up big time. Yeah, we really are thankful to the people who sponsor our event because without them, we wouldn't be able to keep the ticket prices affordable. And we have a lot of donations that people also give. And that makes it so that we don't have to hike the prices too much. Is there a moment or something memorable from that first event that sticks out to you? Something I really loved was the youth participation. So we had some kids actually showing their games and that was like really amazing. How, how old are we? Oh, are talking like we say middle kids? school kids. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was adorable. What is that, 12? Is that yeah, like they 12? were like 12 years That's old amazing. and their game was pretty good. Aww. So yeah. we didn't, That's amazing. because we were not charging, we could actually show like some pretty great stuff from some really young people who probably couldn't have afforded to do that otherwise and that's why we really wanted to make sure that we didn't have to do things like end up charging for a space to show your game so we get people of all ages showing their games Hello, 12 year old I know 12 year allowance. <laughs> exactly yeah. like imagine like where are they going to get the 500 the ticket bucks yeah, to yeah, actually yeah. do yeah. that ticket price is 30 times your yeah. age <laughs> good luck have fun we're charging a thousand dollars It's amazing that people flew in for the first one. And I'm just always curious about like the first people who show up to something. How much work did you have to do to get the word out? I feel like at the time we definitely had like social media to thank, like Facebook, for example. I think that now it's much harder to actually get the word out there about your event on Facebook because they just made so many changes that make it less likely to be seen. But at the time we were able to get a lot of word out through Facebook and uh, we've always had a pretty solid track record of getting folks to be aware on Twitter as well because there is a huge games community on Twitter and even throughout all of the terrible things that have happened even specifically in the games community everyone's pretty much is still pretty married to it yeah Yeah. they're all extremely logged on so so it's really hard to detach yourself from that and so we had a lot of luck pretty much just did feel like something that happened very organically because people were just like hey I didn't know this thing existed like Mm -hmm. do y'all want to come to this so yeah now we have a lot of people who are like planning and saying like hey this is like 2020 GDOC I'm coming to this event let's figure out how we're going to get there and so now we have to as an event think about when we can announce dates and Mm, stuff like that mm. sooner a huge lesson that we're taking away from this really is that we need to continue to help the community plan as we get bigger because more people from further away want to come yeah yeah which is so intense we had Australians come this year. Wow. And it was like, that oh is my a God. long flight. <laughs> you came too Perhaps far. Perhaps the for furthest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always so impressed when annual events the day after or that same day, they're like, and are you ready for tickets for 2021? Because it's <laughs> happening here on these days. It's like the, from the conferences that I've helped put on, 
my mind is like my 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 brain ends <laughs> as soon as we're done honestly with an event we just kind of all melt and yeah. <laughs> and take a little bit of a break for like two weeks I think we all want to start planning for the next one but we're just so drained and yeah. happy but also 100% of our brains have been used yeah, and semi-functioning need to yeah, yeah take a break did anything not go right at the first one that you changed Maybe is just part of the time period that we were in. We had to figure out how to navigate a lot of people being really angry about our event existing mm. in the first place. Just you announce it on Twitter and then yeah. people are just like horrible. And this was a very small number of people. They were just like, why is it specifically about people of color? Why do you need this event? Can't they just go make video games and like get into the industry like I did? And it's like, no, it's not that easy. We had to figure out how to let people know like, yes, this event centers people of color. Anyone can show up. It's become so much more clear through conversations people have about the event where they're just like so angry that it exists, that this event is important and needs to happen because clearly there are just still a lot of issues that people don't feel comfortable talking about. I think that was something that took us a lot of time to figure out how to navigate. And we had to actually clarify our stance regarding how we wanted to reply to people mm. about the event if they were kind of being really confrontational. Um, we had to actually create style guidelines in terms of our communication wow. to say like, this is a radical event, but like that doesn't mean we need to go out of our way to really talk negatively to people who don't understand why we're doing this. I think my instinct would be to be a little bit actually just like angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I'm pissed. I have to have these kinds of conversations. And yeah. I think it sounds like it was a generous action and like a patient action of you guys decide <laughs> to be kind. But like, how did you get to that point? Mm -hmm. And do you have any recommendations or tips for people and how you communicate or like what messaging you use? I believe that we all had our past experiments with how to communicate with folks yeah, this on is not Twitter. New. This is not new. And yeah, <laughs> for example, I realized through literally the terrible harassment campaign that I will not name, but everyone in the gaming industry knows about that is if you try to dunk on someone, for example, <laughs> it just doesn't work well. Um, people don't learn anything. That being said, it can be great for kind of blowing off steam. Your own personal needs. Yes. Yeah. Like it can be really fun, but it just doesn't really work. And so on our personal Twitter accounts, like go ahead and have fun. But when it comes to the event, the kind of event that we're trying to run, it really is supposed to be an inclusive space. And if those hard conversations need to be had, like, let's figure out how to have them in a productive way. Yeah. That being said, we don't allow hateful people into the event because, like, it is our event and we can control who shows up. So mm -hmm. if you are harassing someone on the Internet, that violates our code of conduct and yeah. you're not going to be allowed in. That's kind of how we figure out how to draw our lines. We definitely don't just take it and we try to be really clear about our boundaries as event organizers and as the event in itself and that's why it's really important for us to have a code of conduct. One thing that's really remarkable to me going to your guys's website and reading about you is this combination which you make clear in your name that focus is putting a spotlight on people of color who are developing games yeah but at the same time as you kind of have a focus you're radically inclusive. Why is it so important for you guys to also just be so inclusive in terms of 
access. How do you guys balance that combination? For context, for those of y'all who don't know, one of the many things that we also do is provide captioning live for people so that as they're watching the folks doing panels and lightning talks rather they can read along if maybe they haven't they maybe don't have like super amazing bat level hearing or Mm. like maybe they just don't understand a certain accent in general we all understand as people who've had to navigate this world what it's like to not be considered normal or acceptable and because we have the power to run this event we wanted to make sure that as many people as possible could not feel that way yeah that they felt like they had everything that they need to actually get to the event and something that we're hoping to explore this year actually is also doing scholarships for the event specifically so if you live far away and you can't make it then maybe we can help you out but for us we really understand the intersection of all of these different parts of our identities personally we're all people of color some of us are definitely like from marginalized gender groups we all have different sexualities we all just understand what it's like to not be included and so it's really important for us to just create a community where it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like or who you're attracted to or any of that stuff you can just come because you're interested in building a game and you want to see someone who maybe looks like you do it or someone who you don't get to see very often on stage making a game yeah In our book, we sort of cite this idea that all communities kind of bridge and bond across different factors, but it's another thing to just allow a community to unintentionally bond over certain factors and not think about how you continue to bridge. You know, one of my takeaways from listening to you is that this idea of being radically inclusive, it, it takes work and it takes yes. attention and it takes <laughs> yeah, all like of this. Live captioning so seems like much. that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. an investment. Honestly, yeah. it's not that expensive. Oh, well, there it we go. It was like maybe like $1,000. We can't take credit for the live captioning because AlterConf, which was a really popular conference several years ago, they were definitely doing that first. And we were like, whoa, how much did that cost? And they were like, not that much money. Here's the person who did it. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was super amazing and that's the other thing we really try to do is if we see other people doing some really cool stuff like we try to assess and figure out like is that something that we could also incorporate because that's pushing us all forward we really just try to listen to our community also and just see what they're saying works and what doesn't work and Mm. every year we send out a feedback survey they're helping us make this event better and we are super excited for 2020 Rock and roll. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Or whatever. I don't know. Rock and roll is like a 70s thing to say. Rock and roll. Let's hear this. God. Oh, so lame. Um, So you attended a uh, sort of like a lunch gathering of other people who get people together. Uh, with us maybe so months ago. So months a bunch, ago. Of, <laughs> bunch of different communities, <laughs> people tamales. running, yeah, oh, people running meetups, tamales. people running summits, people running different communities. And I remember a lot of the folks there had questions about sponsorship and you were like, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I will help you make it rain. <laughs> maybe just one open question is, you know, what are some of the things you've learned from soliciting sponsorship, starting with the first, GDOC Expo to the most recent one? Like, what are some of those big takeaways about how to do this well? One huge thing is understanding what you're asking for, how much money you need in an ideal situation, and then how much you could run on in general. That's something we tried to do really early on is figure out what our budget needs to be. 
And that helped us to figure out how much money we needed to ask for and when we knew that we would be okay versus if we knew that we were in trouble, like maybe we need to really ramp things up. So definitely understanding what your budget is supposed to be is like the first thing that we always try to do. We generally now have a system in terms of the amount of money that we are asking for. It definitely comes in tiers. That's something that we started experimenting with uh, very early on because you have categories of yeah, like we have big sponsor, exactly. medium, small, right. small, medium large extra large that gives people something to react to in terms of like oh I can't pay like $2,500 but I can give you 500 and that's what we did in the first year now we can say $500 is small but like for the first time that we were running this event that was enough to get food and water for everyone Mm. and that was pretty much all we really needed (laughs) honestly I think it was really valuable for us to be able to show people like hey here you can pay $500 and we'll like give you a shout out on Twitter. And if you pay this much, then we will do these things for you. So it's really about like giving them the opportunity to look at the benefits of the amount of money that they would be spending. Something that we're always working on every year is figuring out how to give folks more benefit in terms of the people who are sponsoring, but also making sure that we're balancing that with attendee experience. Like we don't do sponsored talks or anything like that, but we do try to make sure that if people are paying us funds, like we have them present and things like that. So it's really important to think about the benefit that you would provide and how that would also affect your attendees. And then also I did a lot of Googling (laughs) in terms of looking up companies that we thought would probably sponsor us yeah and this, this yeah. is something i definitely want yeah. to ask around like how do you not only like select a company that you think might be interested in sponsoring but also go about finding that human being yeah that decision decision maker <sighs> great question to you know to talk with to be able to pitch you to be able to discuss like joining in a partnership So there are a couple of ways I've worked with meetup, for example, before. And one thing I would do is like try to see like, are there events that happen in their space or is there some contact that's available on their website? So if you are local enough, you can probably meet someone by going to events that are hosted in the company space if they do that. If they don't do that. um, So you would be like, oh, this company might sponsor us. Yeah. Let me see if there's an event happening at that office that I can go to and then you slide up and you like identify yeah. them oh my like, god okay. like <laughs> yes yeah Land so running. that's like yeah. one thing yeah. yeah people like some of us will go to even just like other games conferences for example we'll see who's sponsoring their events and we'll talk to them like oh, that's yeah. another great opportunity because if they're giving like gdc which is the big game developers conference event money maybe they have some money for us yeah like we're much more local and we also have a huge market that they want to access and people want to see them there. A lot of larger companies also have like a sponsorship page. So if you search and you say like company name plus sponsorship, that's how we actually were able to figure out GitHub, for example, uh, for the first couple of years that we were working with them. Over time, you start building personal connections with people who work at certain companies or as you meet people and they transition through their own careers, you can reach out to them. Yeah. So I have a friend who worked at Mozilla and I was like, like, hey, does Mozilla maybe want to sponsor this event? And she was like, well, I don't do that. But like, here's the person that does. Mm. Yep. And it's really uh, a lot of the times just tapping into your network of people amongst other times where you're getting really creative and like trying to figure out how you can weasel your way into people's hearts. What advice would you have to sponsors, to companies about how to be a great kind of patron or partner to an organization like GDOC or another event? 
I really look at the way that MailChimp has participated within Mm -hmm. our event. So they're amazing. They really trust us and have supported us since the first year. And they've been able to see it grow. And we really appreciate them. Like just being consistent, honestly, if you think our event is great and you want to see it get better, show up. If you can, if you can send someone, that'd be great. Try to be present and see what it's like to be there in person and to really understand the vibe of the event. Those are the sponsors that we really find the most value in. So like MailChimp, Xbox has been pretty present for the past several years as well. Why is that? Is it because you feel like it helps communicate the value to them? Like, yeah, they get to actually see the event live and and understand the the scale at which it's working on. Yeah, Yeah, the energy is really vibrant at our event. So seeing that and understanding in person what it's like to come to our event is huge huge. We do also send uh, sponsorship summary decks after the event. So if people can't come in person, they do understand what it's like. But at the same time, it's really great to be there. I would love to see folks take a chance a little bit more. A lot of times folks are more willing to invest in things that are already off the ground, which can make it really challenging for more grassroots uh, organizations. So if uh, you see something that comes your way, maybe it's not super clear yet. You can ask a couple of clarifying questions like, what would I get for sponsoring this or something and try to help them out a little bit? Because I don't know that we'd still be here if we hadn't gotten investment from like MailChimp in that first year. At least in my experience, there's like a special place in my heart for sponsors and partners that come on early and not to say that it isn't so valuable to find someone later on but when that initial company takes a chance or is like yeah uh you know i've had instances where they offer even a little bit more they'll be like you know what i you know maybe we could do like a five thousand dollar thing and it's just like mind-blowing and what (laughs) uh, and help you at least as like a you know as a community leader someone organizing something help you realize the value and how Mm -hmm. special it is that you're putting something together because you often get a lot of feedback which is like no we're not ready for you no we're not ready for Mm -hmm. you so to get a little bit of that validation and then for someone to be like you do realize you're just doing something valuable yeah an early point it like earns so many points and i think about totally those people as they move there through their careers i'm even more likely to go to bat for them or recommend like yeah you should really talk to this person because they're a really great partner in general be an early adopter to everything. Yeah. That is the, a lot of benefits <laughs> early, come totally. when you roll the dice properly. Yeah. Early adopter to everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. When a company is like, hey, I have no idea how this is going to go, but like, it sounds like it's aligned with what we want to do yeah. or like who we want to be reaching. That's amazing. And your company will reach a ton of people who probably had no idea you existed. And that's like amazing marketing that's probably going to be more effective than like buying an ad at this point. So it's way less money. It's so much more effective. And a ton more people are using these different you know, like they know these platforms exist because these people are sponsoring our event. Yeah. So it's super cool. And yeah, we're just so happy that it got to this point. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely not what we expected. And I think every time we got more money than we expected, it was just like, wow, we can like pay speakers to actually come here, not just to like speak mm-hmm. at the event, but like we can fly people mm-hmm. here. That's now. rad. You do that. I have to call yeah. that out too, especially for an event that is has a $20 ticket price, is accessible enough so a 12-year-old can go and showcase their game to still put, you know, plant a flag and say, we're going to pay speakers. Yeah. When I know plenty of $1,000, $2,000, yep. $5,000 <laughs> conferences that have a no paid speaker sort of policy that really says something about, to me, just about how you are trying to clearly demonstrate that like you value people's contributions yeah. and you really want, 
you know, a diverse group of people to plug in and bring what they have to kind of show and contribute to totally. the expo. There's nothing worse than getting all the way through to the point where your talk is accepted and then you find out mm. that there's no way you can come there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the first things that we did experiment with was actually having people do like a YouTube call in and or like a Hangouts call. And we've done that a couple of times when people just maybe couldn't get visas worked out and stuff like that. And so we just try to provide as many ways that people can be present and we don't want things like visas or like money in terms of being able to fly somewhere to be the barrier. And I think to other events, it shows like, yes, it's hard to run an event, but if you didn't have the speakers there, again, you wouldn't have content that would attract people to the event. So really, you should definitely at the very least be paying them. What is the most time consuming part of putting on the conference? Oh, God. (laughs) I would say that there are blocks of time where we're really trying to nail down Like, are we going to be able to grow this thing or just do it at the same size that it was before? I think that's probably the thing that we end up trying to solve for a huge chunk of our time. And then once that's done, it's really just like, everyone show up, please. (laughs) Like, give us, like, share your games with us so that we can, like, have people show things at the event. Do you want to speak after we get through that hurdle? Yeah, it's really like who's going to be there and like how are we going to curate this year's speakers and presenters. So I think those are the two biggest things is really the content. Um, But we can't think about the content until we figure out the scale. And for you personally, what is what is the best part about GDoc? I don't have to leave New York to actually see a bunch of people that I love anymore, mm, which nice. is amazing. Nice. <laughs> like, to me. All my friends are coming to New York now. <laughs> there was the never a, a reason to be in New York. So a couple of years ago, there was a conference uh, called Indicate East that would come to New York, but they haven't really been active and there wasn't really a reason for folks to come to New York anymore. And now all the games folks that I really care about come to New York in July, which is amazing for me. I actually took a hiatus one year because I was just really exhausted from running the event the previous year. Um, And then I came back because I was like, I want to be a part of this amazing community and all these wonderful people and like getting to see them and just seeing how happy and engaged and like refreshed they are at the end is the whole reason I do this. Yeah. I think the fourth expo recently happened this summer. Is that right? Yep. We got to go to number five now. So number (laughs) five. Full hand. hand. (laughs) What's on your mind right now? What are you thinking about uh, with regards to the future of GDOC Expo? We're doing a lot of work around how we can better specialize our roles as a team. I'm thinking a lot now about our overall communications. What does all of that mean? We have always kind of used email as like this reactive last minute, like, please come. We don't know. Like, we're mostly tweeting, I guess. It's kind of events thing. are just email onslaught. Oh, it's just so email intense. onslaught. Yeah. Oh so now God. we're figuring out how to balance that out. And that's like the big thing that I'm focusing on this year. I have the joy of now having two reports that are yeah like I am kind of managing them part-time we'll get paid when the event's over and like we'll split the earnings so they will 
all get paid. Um, there are only two of them. Uh, but yeah, like it's really exciting because now I get to like mentor two people yeah. and we're just growing the team out and really figuring out what it means to continue to scale this event. So my brain is full of thoughts around like, how do we just make sure that we all have the ability to focus better and to be more strategic about how we run this event? Yeah. You guys are becoming like teenagers. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. It's like, like okay. in the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The next, the next, the next oh, version. God. Professionalizing slightly. <laughs> Watch out. The final question we like to ask is if we could give you a magic wand and you could have anything you want for the GDOC community, what would you ask for? I think more days. We were only previously able to do one day of this event and we really want to figure out how to scale it to a second day. And we're trying to figure out how to do that, but it's it is a huge mental flex in terms of like, we're not used to even thinking about this as a possibility. Like, how do we even do this? So if there was just like some magical way to just be like, Hey, like it's two days now and all of your problems have been solved. (laughs) It just makes sense. It's so easy to do that. Um, I think that would be personally really great. Just like someone to like come in like, Oh my God, if we could have like an events coordinator who is just like here magic, it's two days now. I figured it out all for you. Are you out there, <laughs> events coordinator. Please there? help us. <laughs> <laughs> we need you. Um, and I think that's something that we're all kind of scraping together, but none of us have the ability to focus on that right now. And it's something that we really want. Right. Well, you heard it here. Yeah, you send Two it. Days. We send it out. Yeah. Right? Like someone email us, please. Yeah. <laughs> You've got mail. Tweet us. We have Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Right, awesome cat. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much time. for your time. We of appreciate course. it. Thank Y'all you are great. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get involved with GDoc, head over to gamedevsofcolorexpo.com or follow them on Twitter at gdocexpo. You can also follow Cat on Twitter at catsmall, C-A-T-T-S-M-A-L-L. Two T's, two L's. Yeah, she's got a cool name. Hey, Bailey, what what's your experience with games? Did you play games growing up? Did you, are there any games stick out to you? Yeah, I played games growing up. Everyone did like the Mario Kart thing and the mm. 007 thing, mm. but I was really into Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Oh, T-H-P-S. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe everyone was in, into that, but I loved that. There's some Bay Area stuff that happens. My in hometown Tony Hawk. is like the unlocked final yeah. stage, like this yeah. like Jiffy Mart that's in my hometown. There we That's go. That's like the secret unlock final stage because there yeah, are I remember, skaters from my town. I remember like grinding in the, uh, you know, it's near the ferry building in SF. Oh, There's that really? like area. I just remember yeah. playing that and Tony Hawk before I'd ever gone there. I would totally still play Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Yeah. I, I wonder that. if it holds up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have like, I feel like my gaming experience is frozen in time from like when I was probably in middle school. That's cool. You can just relive that frozen in time time then. Can I still play an N64? Yeah, you can totally still play an N64. It's probably a pretty affordable way to go play games now. I love that stuff. Although we didn't talk about this on the podcast, but Kat's a Dance Dance Revolution, like superhuman. She might be be playing DDR right now in the (laughs) last New York City arcade that has DDR. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about you? you? What's your gaming? life like uh i played a good amount growing up a lot of watching my brother play as well um today i am currently 
you know, just burning some time playing SimCity. Oh, still yeah, interesting. Love it. I really love the simulation games where yeah. it's like the tycoon games, like go build a theme park, go build a dinosaur ranch, go... <laughs> It's just like running these various like businesses or operations. I but love just this in is like what you clicking. do yeah. in your spare time. Did you like the Oregon Trail? Uh, sort of. Is that sort the of. first sort of simulation? I just game? remember like hunting and like Typhoid. gathering too much meat. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's like, I got too much meat. No. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, if you want to find out more about us, uh, visit our website, peopleand.company. That's a dot company, not a dot com. We're people in company. Also, our book, Get Together, is on Amazon, or you can just visit gettogetherbook.com. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like Kat. Oh, and last thing, if you don't mind, give us a review on the old podcast yeah, store. Or whatever. just a rating. You yeah, know, you a rating, review, rating. Yeah, yeah. or both. And uh, also subscribe to the podcast if you want Sub. to. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, helps us. Helps us. Helps us subscribe when more people, wait, show up when more people search for us. All right, it's the end of the night. I got to get off the mic. Love it. All right, see ya. Bye.